You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. Coming to you from Magnified Studios, Magnified Pod presents Pods from the Penalty Box. A nostalgic sampling of skate punk albums from the 90s Christian alternative scene. Join us in the pit. I'm Andrew. I'm John. And this is our podcast. And this is our food line. You know, <laughs> we're not we're not doing Goaty Hook anymore, but this is still our, our food line. I forgot for a second, but I'm glad you didn't. Um, how can you forget? <laughs> Sorry. Got a lot going on. How dare, how dare you? <laughs> Never forget that this is our food line. <laughs> so today on the pod, we have three amazing guests, Jake Doctor, Crispin Mayfield, and Joel Harrison. And we're going to be talking the Christian punk scene. We're going to be talking philosophy. We're going to be talking psychology. We're going to be talking uh, just a lot of amazing stuff that uh, we have touched on throughout our pod history, Mm. but having kind of like a panel discussion with people who have, uh, experience in these fields yes it's an impressive an impressive array of panelists talking politics politics schmolitics right. too confusing <laughs> but we'll get it all we'll get it all straightened out should we just move straight into it yeah i think we should just jump right into it uh let's take take a quick ad break from one of our uh contemporaries on the Rock Candy Network, and then we'll get into our conversation with our dudes. I'm Avery Smith, and I'm here to invite you to Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, a multi-faith podcast of transgender stories. Whatever your own relationship to gender and spirituality may be, you will find yourself enriched by the stories shared by my guests, who so far have ranged in religion from Christian and pagan to Jewish, Sikh, atheist, and beyond, and have hailed from the U.S., Chile, Poland, Australia, and more. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts or read along with episode transcripts by visiting blessedarethebinarybreakers.com. See you there. John, today on Magnified Pod, we have three guests and it has indeed been a while since we've had a three guest roster on the pod we have jake doctor uh writer and activist former tour manager for tooth and nail we have crispin mayfield therapist host of the podcast prophetic imagination station and attached to the invisible and author of forthcoming book attached to god and professor joel harrison associate professor of religion at northern virginia community college and also author of a forthcoming book Palms of Victory, 
Crowns of Glory, Evangelical Political Identity, and Underground Christian Punk. Everybody, welcome to Magnified Pod. It's great Thank to be you. here. Thanks for coming, everybody. We're yeah. excited about this prestigious yeah. panel. <laughs> yeah, I Feels think like this is... like a Zoom party. I know, right? <laughs> well, what is... I mean, you know, John and I typically have beverages so that it is usually a party of sorts. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, I feel like this is the first of a kind of, of an episode for us that usually when we have, when we've had multiple guests on, it's talking about kind of a, a single thing, but having a variety of guests from, from, uh, kind of a similar scene, but like from different, um, careers and trajectories and this is it's just it does feel more like a panel than it does one of our regular episodes so i feel i'm excited to see kind of where this whole this whole conversation goes definitely and um each of you have something to say about sort of the general uh focus of our our conversation together today which is sort of the different impacts of the scene that we cover on the show you know the alternative and punk Christian scene of the 90s and early 2000s shaped a lot of people in a lot of ways. And each of you have touched on different um, expressions of that. But we kind of had this idea of, you know, focusing on the sort of the social identity, uh, the ways that the scene has shaped people in that way, mm-hmm. um, the political identity, and then sort of the psychological um, and spiritual shaping that the scene can do. And each of you can speak to those things, but maybe we'll start by giving folks just a little bit of background about uh, each of you um, for listeners and sort of how the scene we cover on the show uh, shaped the work you do now. Um, Jake, if you want to start off. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm 41. And so like, you know, it was like high school, started high school in 1994 um graduated in 98 so it was like coming into music right around the time that tooth and nail and kind of all of this alternative christian music was also like blossoming and it's also like the pre-internet days so like was getting the like tooth and nail mail order catalog dreaming about finally getting a car and going to seattle mm-hmm. wishing that i would have a car to be able to go to tom fest you know mm-hmm. but like talking about all that stuff having friends yeah. go and bring everything back I grew up in the Central Valley of California, like um, kind of close enough to everything, but also like a million miles away when you're poor and don't have a car. Um, sure. Right. But like grew up very evangelical, very in- involved in the church. So like the first album, like I remember like a distinct memory. I have no idea what year. That'll blow the punchline. But it, like anyways, like remember being like, nine or ten and like just begging my parents for the carmen cassette tape for christmas <laughs> of course um and then getting it and then like but then immediately remember like discovering other stuff and leaving that all behind pretty quickly and got mm. into like mad at the world and um prayer chain and all of this sort of stuff and then had my world just like totally changed and opened um <clears throat> And, you know, like, I'm lucky enough to have grown up in the, like, pre-internet phase of, like, crate digging, mail order catalogs. You get your hands on something and just, like, read all of the liner notes. Yeah. And it, like, took so much work to try to find this stuff. And I think for me, that was probably, like, 
but one of the more formative parts of like the scene and the world was that like it took a lot of work to be into it and yeah. like you would like pour over liner notes and like learn you know like the names of people who appeared and then you would see them pop up on another album and you were like connecting the dots and like decoding this weird world that was like <laughs> yeah. seemed so far away you know For yeah sure. it's yeah at the it's it seems light years away from spotify algorithms uh telling you like what you might enjoy like we've talked about this on the pod a lot that if if it wasn't at your local christian bookstore or you didn't see it, it like you didn't go to a show then it just kind of didn't exist like there wasn't a way for you to get your hands on it if you like unless you were getting a mail order catalog and you could find it there just wasn't you couldn't just go someplace and listen to every album you had to find it and so stumble there was like this like there was like this like uh like black market you know of like people trading behind the scenes or you'd borrow it or they'd make you a mixtape and then you'd be like you know you'd borrow their album and you'd read through all the liner notes and like we'd share with the older friend or there'd be like my friend's dad owned the christian bookstore he was a little bit older and he could like special order stuff for us that he wasn't supposed to and it was all like felt very clandestine you know yeah. like mm-hmm. but it was still like we weren't ordering like bad religion or like uh misfits records you know sure. it was still like um it was like on the back part of the tooth and nail catalog or something that was like maybe slightly a little bit edgy but like it still <laughs> felt like you'd have to be like, Hey, I ordered that thing. Wink, wink. And then you'd be like, Oh yeah, I've got it behind the counter. (laughs) (laughs) Like whispering and paper bags and stuff. Well, Uh, and I was thinking too about the, like going to shows and having like all those uh, just burned CDs of like albums that like you would never be able to find now, you know, Mm, like you couldn't find them then. Like maybe there was like a, like a very dark HTML website and all the files were in like dot WMA or something. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah. Just been trying to download are. all of those insiders live recordings. <laughs> <laughs> we need them. Uh, or maybe they were, you know, mislabeled and you, you wanted to get MXPX and you got Barbie girl or whatever the famous, <laughs> uh, the files were always misnamed uh, on those downloading sites. Um, yeah. Crispin, do you want to, you want to share a bit about, yeah i mean it's really interesting because i am six years younger than jake which is really not that much younger um, and we are friends in real life uh but in in that time of history like that is like an eternity from like you know 95 to 2001 like if we're talking about uh you know that was really when i stepped into more alternative uh christian music but um yeah i am i'm a therapist i've been doing a podcast um about christian hardcore mostly solid state bands um and basically like looking at the lyrics and looking at those lyrics is like an entry point into understanding the psychology of evangelicalism because uh they didn't really care as long as you didn't talk about sex or drugs um you could say whatever you wanted you could say these like horrible like things uh you know like i hate myself and i don't know if that's because that like fits that theology or if it's because they couldn't tell what you were saying maybe both um but you know there's a lot there and it was very serious in the way that like mxpx wasn't right and so 
so basically, I've just used that as a launching pad to, to talk about uh, evangelical, uh, the experience of growing up evangelical. Also, I was a missionary kid. And so um, I did go to some shows sometimes, but my experience was mostly um, downloading things on the internet because it was, you know, 2001, 2002 um, and, and onward. Um, so just listening to a lot of things on my, uh, you know, CD Walkman. So, yep. Yeah. One of the things we've talked a lot about. So this season on our show, we're doing, uh, the first genre season we've done, you know, we did MXPX and then five iron and now we're doing skate punk. And so we're covering a bunch of different bands and it's the first time that we've delved into some of these, uh, evangelical, uh, sort of mindsets that these kids were in in some of these bands and yeah. we so often mm-hmm. cover like man these guys are so hard on themselves and they're just uh-huh. teenagers and it's yeah. like you're doing okay buddy you're not the worst but like, like what is it that yeah. you that you did when you were 16 or 17 years old that makes you such a monster that you were just right. so terrible right. or even yeah. 14 like yeah, in the totally. case of slick shoes yeah, like, yeah slick exactly. shoes first record like yeah like dude you you were like maybe 13 when you wrote these songs right. how could you be so terrible yeah, yeah right yeah ryan ryan was like a lot of a lot of those early records were just a, a lot of how terrible he was and a lot of the right you know struggling with friendships and that sort of stuff which which makes sense tracks for for that age sure. but and then you gotta you know sprinkle in all the abortion songs throughout oh, the God. throughout the <laughs> scene yeah. you know and right. certainly a uh that is also the case uh <laughs> Crispin, i'd be interested to as we've covered uh almost almost every band that we've covered this season has had an abortion song or an abortion adjacent song and i've got to imagine that that has also come up quite a bit in the the more hardcore scene and and, and other bands that you've you know, covered that's actually like a good like i, I I feel like we're it def. I would assume old school, like old, older school, uh, Christian hardcore. Uh, I know Under Oath on their first album uh, had this this ridiculous, you know, like right in line, right? It's like he screams, like you should have thought about the baby before you had sex, like in this like high pitched voice, you know, or like Very nuanced. scream, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, but. Uh, but I, you know, like I definitely was like solid state years, like ninety nine, going okay. back to like ninety nine and forward, where like sure. there was a lot of like uh, it was way more poetic in a way and way less like yeah in your face. I think I, I mean I think uh, Joel, you've you've been looking at this. Um, I've been looking at like what was important to me when I was like seventeen. <laughs> you've been looking at like the the broader scope of of all this so you might have a different insight joel do you want to tell us yeah sure about yourself yeah so i feel like my experience is maybe a little slightly different that i mean that's something that i've noticed as i've been doing research for this book and conducting interviews with people um so i grew up in an evangelical environment my parents are both evangelicals but it was really not that strict. Like I was allowed to listen to secular music. I never once remember my parents saying, 
like you can't do this or you can't listen to this you can't watch this i remember my mom being like a little bit like unsure of us like watching the simpsons when i was like nine years old or something you know um but yeah i i was able to uh listen to whatever music i wanted to and so um you know i the the difference i guess that that made for me um i don't know i i i mean the the christian scene maybe wasn't didn't play as huge of a role in my uh sort of philosophical or spiritual development as it did for other people i mean it, it definitely did play a role um but it, i just you know i didn't have the experience of um, like, oh, I'm only, I can only buy music from the Christian bookstore or mm -hmm. I can, you know, that, like that was sort of a newish thing to me when I started researching this book, uh, last year to encounter people who were like, oh yeah, my parents, you know, it was like, I was pulling a fast one on them, you know, getting this, uh, getting this music from the Christian bookstore. Cause they didn't know that it was just like screaming or that it was like punk or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I grew up in Southern California um, in a, a, around the same time as Jake. I'm 38, almost 39. Um, so I, uh, I I remember my youth pastor handed me a copy of Teenage Politics when I was in seventh grade. Hell yeah. Because I would not shut up about Green Day. Uh -huh. um, and he was like, he's like, dude, you have to stop talking about Green Day. Here, listen to this. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, like this sounds like Green Day. And actually I maybe like MXPX a little bit better than Green Day. Uh -huh. And then I just kind of never looked back. Um, and that, uh, you know, sort of opened up a world of like music that isn't on the radio. Um, so mm -hmm. my first sort of like introduction to underground music was through the Christian music scene. And then, you know, there were, I had a friend who went to a different church who, you know, there's an older like college age leader who would take us to shows like he took us to uh this thing at um at uh point loma college called Lollapaloma, where all of these huge christian bands like five iron and the supertones and um and i remember thinking it was just the crazy you know i was 15 thought it was the craziest thing ever <laughs> um you know and then from there kind of started getting into other other stuff so like kind of through high school and college I was both in involved in the sec quote-unquote secular you know underground scene as well as um Christian music um Pasadena where I kind of grew up had this still has this sort of like famous infamous uh church venue called the No Future Cafe where like tons of wannabe sort of Christian bands would uh would get their start or try to get their start it was called no future because everybody who played there had no future in mm -hmm. the music industry <laughs> um, but it was like a cool like you know that was like our local scene or whatever um and then uh yeah so in terms of i guess everything else i'm i'm a, a professor at a community college um I, my PhD is in religious studies from Northwestern. Um, and my, you know, my areas, my dissertation was, you know, without getting too like in the weeds here was basically just about theology and culture and, and how does 
theology sort of maintain its claim to authority and being sort of universal and unchanging, even as it is responding to culture and actually changing over time, mm. right? Um, so this is like a you know big big problem in Christian theology throughout history, uh, and so that kind of you know in thinking about that and during the pandemic, just like kind of revisiting some of this music, I um, you know started thinking like, has anybody written like a book about this from an academic perspective. And there are a few like sociologists and so forth um, who've written things, but nobody's, as far as I know, done it from like a philosophy of religion or theology or social philosophy kind of mm. um, perspective. So, so yeah, so I'm sort of interested in this reciprocal relationship, I guess, between uh, a, you know, religious identity and culture and, and the way that those things sort of shape and, and affect each other yeah. sure yeah maybe then um having you kick things off by by sort of talking delving a bit more into that would be a good way to go i mean you've mentioned sure that some of your academic focus has been on this idea of sort of authenticity that was really emphasized yeah. within the scene mm -hmm. um that there was this push to to sort of counter the secular alternative scene um, right in some aspects of, the, of that world so like that led to this sort of glorification of apolitical being the goal. Um, sure. Can you talk sure. a bit about that or sort of yeah. what your book emphasizes? Right. Yeah. So I think that like kind of in the broadest strokes, um, you know, when I tell people who are not familiar with this at all, that I'm writing a book on Christian punk, their immediate thought is well, that is like an oxymoron. Like those two <laughs> right. words don't go together. Yeah. Um, what is, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, um, you know, and if you spend any time, I've spent some time in like, you know, Facebook groups that are like fan groups for like, you know, secular punk scenes and stuff. And everybody is always, you know, dumping on Christian punk, like nobody takes it seriously or whatever. But, um, you know, I think that from the punk perspective, there's actually really nothing about Christianity that, that like precludes it from from being part of the punk scene, because historically, uh, you know, uh, what it meant to be authentically punk was just to express whatever your ideology was. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have this very wide range of ideological expressions of punk across the political spectrum. You know, it is mostly leftist, but obviously we all know there are, there are skinhead punks and, sure. you know, um, and then you also have bands like, uh, like 108 who are Hari Krishnas, right? So you have Krishna core and you have straight edge and vegans and all of this stuff. So Christianity is not really like outside, out of bounds there in that kind of world. Um, so that part of it makes sense. I think, you know, going the other way, right? Can punk be Christian? That's really where the tension uh, for people in the scene like arose right there was there really was never a question of like can christianity fit within the punk ethos i think like there's so much about punk aesthetics and and punk the punk ethos that fits very well with certain uh under especially contemporary understandings of christianity so um so the idea of authenticity for me um there's there's sort of multiple layers here right there's multiple ways we can talk about authenticity. Uh, we can talk about, you know, whether or not um, Christian punk is a is an authentic form of music, right? Or is it just derivative 
trash like most of CCM, you know, the everybody who grew up in a youth group knows those charts that say, you know, yes. if you like the secular band, yes. right. then you'll love this Christian band. And I remember someone, uh, a youth, <laughs> a youth leader telling me that I should stop listening to Nirvana and listen to DC Talks Jesus Freak instead. <laughs> uh-huh. And even when I was like 11 or 12, I was like, bro, this sucks. <laughs> this is straight up garbage. Like, this is not like Nirvana at all. What are you talking about? Um, like, it was so obviously like a pale imitation, yes. like trying to copy, right? So, but um, I do think that there's there's a, a special window of time and i don't really have a you know set dates on when this was but there there definitely was a special window of time for the christian scene when it really just was uh people wanting to be in punk bands and just singing about what they knew um so like it's for July example 6th 1997 to <laughs> august 12th 1999 that's your time frame <laughs> I love no, it. no see i actually i i would go back earlier than that because uh, you know like <laughs> uh when when i like when i interviewed billy power um for this book hmm. you know he was like very very clear and he you know he's been clear about this on his own podcast and in other interviews and stuff um but you know he's always been very clear that that he just wanted to be in a punk band right, right. he wanted to be you know the descendants or whoever like whatever punk bands were cool like that's what he wanted to be like he they didn't have in their mind right we're trying to be a christian punk band i mean even mark solomon and the crucified like yeah they were very sort of outspoken maybe a little too in your face at times i guess i mean with a name like the crucified and mm-hmm. and all that stuff um uh, about their christianity but they also you know they have that song i'm not a christian punk um which is makes it pretty clear, like, I don't want to be part uh-huh. of this label. Um, so I think that there there is a moment in time, a stretch of time, and, and maybe it's even like a decade or so, um, where uh, these bands are really just being punk bands, you know, yeah. um, other bands like Crash Dog, Head Noise, like, yeah. you know, even prior to Tooth and Nail, um, they they're just trying to be punk bands yes. and they're just singing what they know and that fits the punk ethos and I I think because Christianity is so pervasive in our culture like we tend to ascribe like I don't know how to put it like certain special ways of lenses to view Christianity's engagement with culture like it must be cannibalizing some hmm. other part of, of culture which to be fair often is the case um, but I do think that it's worth sort of uh, drawing out the ways in which the scene was truly authentic in that regard, like with regard to the aesthetics. Um, now, with regard to the other parts of it, the, the politics and so forth, I do think eventually there emerged this attitude like, um, you know, the the old folks or the traditionalists in my church reject me because I maybe want to dress a certain way or I listen to this music and like the worship director is not going to let me get up on youth Sunday with my guitar and, you know, with my band and play a bunch of punk songs, (laughs) right? Because they don't like how it sounds. Um, And they're telling me that it's not Christian. And then on the other side, the punks are telling me that I'm not punk. I mean, you know, famous, too punk for the Christians, too Christian for the punks thing. Um, and that 
became a badge of honor, but what I'm trying to do is sort of, um, I guess, uh, unpack exactly like why in terms of authenticity. And so again, not to get, to, I don't want to get too in the weeds of like the, the philosophy, the philosophical sources here, but um, just as one example, uh, you know, probably the person most responsible for the popularization of the idea of authenticity in the West is Jean-Jacques Rousseau, um, who's a French political philosopher. Um, and for Rousseau, what it means to be an authentic self, right, is to be true to whatever's inside of you to the point of shame, right? Mm. So that you sort of openly embrace this idea that being authentic means that other that society is going to shame you for being mm. authentic. Mm, right? Right. Um, it's this it's this move in the 18th century, a rejection of just being a cog in society, which was that was understood as as uh, sincerity, right? To be sincere meant to be just do your part and and disappear right into the machine of society. And Rousseau is saying, no, sincerity is wrong. Um, and you know, life killing. <laughs> we need to be authentic, and so he talks a lot about masturbation and all this stuff, right? In in his writing, and I think that that element of shame is really crucial uh, in, in a lot of different ways. And I think you know, Crispin obviously can speak more to that than than I can. All these different levels, but the level I'm interested in is the way that it comes to form an identity in relation to these poles, right? That as long as you are between the poles of the traditionalists and the secularists or the you know secular punks, however you want to call it, that you are you can be assured that you are being an authentic Christian in some way, right? That um, you know, that you know you are staying true to yourself because you sort of openly embrace the vitriol or whatever that people are going to heap on you. And then, you know, I'm sort of jumping a lot of uh, uh, argumentative steps here, but eventually I'll get to the point where, um, you know, I think that that does manifest itself in politics. And, um, you know, I, I know you guys, some of you are in the, the labeled Facebook group, mm -hmm. right? And occasionally a political argument will break out there, right? Yes. And you, there, there are lots of people I think who defend um, what I think are you know morally just, um, often more leftist positions, um, uh, you know, and you obviously have the conservative trolls you know sure. in there as well. But you, you also see groups of people who are like, come on, guys, Jesus wasn't a Democrat or a Republican, yeah. you know, um, and. I, yeah, so, and that that has also sort of come through in, in the interviews that I've done with um, with some folks. Um, it's not it's not across the board, but there I think that there is a sense in which this idea that you have to sort of rise above the poles of whatever partisan divide there is, right? And that that's the marker, the the identifying uh, mark of being an authentic person, right? Yeah, I wonder how. I mean, that that partly seemed like a specific focus of that time within sort of evangelical culture. Like I 
I'm sure that that is still a thing. I know that that's still a thing that exists, that that yeah. having that as sort of a point of pride. But I wonder if there was something about that time. You know, we talk so much about this, like our parents may have been doing something theologically with us that was completely separate from what a pastor of a church was doing, but it was the youth group that was really like shaping us in the most significant right. ways. And so I wonder if there was this, this sort of nineties youth group moment that we talk a lot about on the show that, that aligned particularly with that idea of like it being a goal to sort of, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be at either extreme of these things. You know, the goal is to be, like you said, like Jesus was not a Democrat or Republican. I don't know. They, right. Yeah. I think, I think that that's, I think that that's true to a certain extent. I also worry a little bit about the um, you know, some of the, the contemporary, movements in sort of progressive-ish evangelicalism, like the, the deconstructionist thing. Um, because sometimes what that feels like is like another way of saying like, this is, this is my way of avoiding like landing on any like position as like affirmative. Like I can just say that I'm, you know, deconstructing in a process of deconstruction. And then I never have to like align myself affirmatively with any political position because, uh, you know, I can just talk about how it's been deconstructed or something, something like that. You know, um, that's, that's something that, you know, when I, when I went through my major deconstruction back in 2013, I mean, the whole, the whole, for me, like, I feel, I feel like what people need to do is, and this is something, Joel, that you'll, you know, talking about philosophy is defining terms. Like before you even like get to having a, a philosophical discussion, define the terms. And what are people talking about when they talk about deconstruction? And I think for a lot of people, it's probably going to mean something different, but for yeah. me, it like I, I I thought about it in sort of in a in a like in my mind I'm you know I'm I'm a very visual person and and so it's like I had to take all of the different things take them apart and sort of separate them out and and work on them like in just different categories and work through that through that shit through therapy and sure over these last eight years. So, but the important part for me is not just the deconstruction and working through the trauma and working through the philosophical, theological, and spiritual parts of what it is that I believe and how, and the, how do I uh, define different moral and ethical, ethical beliefs now that I'm, you know, not just easily saying oh because jesus that's why because jesus <laughs> right like all that aside like it's the reconstruction part that is the most important you can't yes. just constantly be in deconstruction you can't no. stay in there because at some point you're just gonna run out of stuff right you need to yeah, totally. you need to rebuild yeah. that that identity and reshape and i'm, I'm and i'm sure this is like Crispin, there's probably some stuff in there that, you know, that's familiar with, you know, you're familiar with that, a lot of that, but like, this is, it's, I, 
the angry Andrew of 2013 is not who I am now because all of that work of the deconstruction right. and the reconstruction and it, and it, and it takes some time. And sometimes there are people that are, I mean, people coming out of different faith backgrounds, different churches have their trauma and their anger and, Good. And they have, and they're, they're right. They're right. They have their rights to be angry. There's the yeah. reasons to be angry. There's reasons to um, be in that space. Um, totally. But staying there, you just, it's, there's more, there's more after that. I was Absolutely. thinking to, to go in a different direction. Uh, sorry to, to go back to that, that this piece of like, what was it about that time with like tooth and nail for you know mm -hmm. for example uh because it was very i feel like it was very it wasn't anywhere close to deconstruction um i think i was reflecting on my own experience of like it was so cool that i could have this aesthetic like musical aesthetic and otherwise that looked so edgy Mm -hmm. And I could be like, but this is like orthodox theology, right? right like right. I, like there was like a point of pride around that. And uh, that to me really parallels like some of the churches that I see like in Portland uh, that I would call uh, like reformed churches in skinny jeans, right? Like Imago yeah. Day. I will yeah, all yeah. name names. Imago <laughs> Day is a great example of that, right? Where it's like, oh, we're really edgy. We're really artistic. Like we're, you know, but like. Right. But then you get to the core of what's behind it. And it's like, oh, yeah, this actually was like planted, like was planted out of, a, I think, a Baptist network. And that feels so true. And I and so I think looking at um, and then, you know, other churches in the Northwest that have been uh, gotten some attention lately. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I and actually like thinking about um, about Mars Hill's connection with Tooth and Nail bands. Yes. yes. Right. I think that explains um a lot of where i was as a teenager and then what i see in those churches now which is like we're actually we're not actually doing any deconstruction uh but we're putting a new like a fresh slap of paint on it that looks different from the outside mm -hmm. um and and so i'm really curious like then how that ties into that like apolitical identity and well, i'm sure so jake you have Oh yeah, no. Go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm sure Jake yeah. also has just thoughts on this at some point. Um, you know, being another, being also in these sorts of communities, or at least around. Completely. No, I agree with you, um, Crispin, and like, for me, like, starting back in the in the scene, like, Joel, I completely resonate with a lot of what you're saying, but there was also a group of us who like didn't care, uh, like it wasn't performative. It was just like this weird thing of like, in this space, I can explore more of who I am in a way that feels like safe, right? Like I remember right. being like, finally being old enough, we had a friend who had a car and could drive. Um, actually, it was like our friend Julie's boyfriend, Bruce, who was slightly older. She was like, um, you know, he was 17 so he had a license in a car and we're like we can go to a show finally we were able to be just be like we're going out we're going to a show we were at our friends i have this like very vivid sense memory 
mm-hmm. just being like, we're going to get ready to go to the show. I was just like a nerdy little white evangelical kid who mm-hmm. like knew that like I wanted to go outside of where I was, but didn't have the resources to do it. Right. Like mm-hmm. didn't have the ability was still like dependent upon my parents. Didn't have my own money to buy my own clothes, you know, it was like constrained Right. Um, and like we were at my friend's house, who's like a friend who I grew up with in church. Parents were like, that's fine. You're with Nick. We, we trust you. Um, and we were just like, you know, <clears throat> we're going to go to a punk show. So let's do something punk. And like, you just grab what you can. And so we just like, our friends, Julie and April, like had some spray on dye. So they sprayed it in our hair and like <laughs> rubber bands in our hair. And then we like borrowed it her sister's fairy wings. And like, it was this like early oh, on, like yeah. even like playing with like yeah. gender norms and yeah. mm-hmm. swapping and all this stuff. But it was just like at a punk show at a church or the thing. And like, if you looked at us, you'd be like, that's super performative. Cause it's just spray on hair dye. It's just the costume that you can take off. But like at the moment it was like, no, this is like, finally I'm able to do this thing. And it was performative. Right. Absolutely. But it was also like completely real, completely authentic. Sure. And like, I'm a big fan of like the more you were talking about like the sincerity movement. And I'm a huge fan of like the new sincerity movement mm. in Russian literature. There's a lot of discussion around like new sincerity where mm-hmm. it's like the idea of like, I don't watch kids cartoons because it's ironic and I'm not wearing a SpongeBob t-shirt because it's like, look how ironic I am. It's because I fucking love SpongeBob. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think that has a lot to do with it where it was just like, I could finally go explore that space that I wasn't normally able to. And then like, I think I talked about this a little bit in the email, but like was able to be like, because we were the crate diving kids and because we were the kids who like would skip over the majority of the stack of records and go to like the weird little corner spot where there was like, there was like all the Maranatha record stuff and then there was like a small a small drawer of tooth and nail stuff like yes i think even just like that psychology of going to the edge of where the records are or going to the back of the liner notes like early on developed this like theology and culture of like going to the edge like Mm. even like geographically you know like there would be like the big christian music festivals and like the punk band would be like in the back tent over in the corner you know what i mean like there was this like thing of like we'll make room for it but it's at the margins and i think for a lot of us kids like growing up started to be like well we're finding our identity at the margins and then there theologically socially culturally it's really easy to then look over the fence to be like okay i'm into this punk band like i'm into one bag pig and i'm into like lust control but like that's really shallow and there's not really much more because their lyrics are shit and basic and <laughs> as long as you're telling me not to masturbate but like then i'm like gonna go like but my other friend at, at school who dresses kind of similarly who's also the margins into crass and fugazi like we're our, the venn diagrams already overlapped and then it's easy yeah. for me to look into that right and it's right, like this right. this thing of like i sometimes think that evangelicalism sows the seeds of its own destruction because it will like encourage people to like, like I grew up super into apologetics. Mm -hmm. And so it was like study and read, study and read, learn philosophy, learn rationalism, and then you use it against itself. But you pursue that to a certain end. And then you're like, I'm going to keep reading. And I've now 
learned enough that all the rest of that shit that's all bullshit right like right yeah (laughs) um and so it's just like this like culture of being like we're at the punk show with the kids who look kind of weird and don't fit in and then when i'm at school i want to be around the kids who are weird and don't fit in so then all of a sudden i'm hanging out with the queer kids and the drama nerds and the immigrants and the like mexican kids who are into morrissey and you know like Mm -hmm. yeah we're all kind of learning each other's story and then i was like there's a lot more commonality of us weirdos than there is that like i'm finding in the church who's telling me that like all of these people don't belong but that's like where i found myself you know yeah and i think what i'm trying to pick out i totally agree with that and like i you know i also i think you know i'm I'm a socialist. I've been a member of the DSA for like 10 years. I, you know, I, I became a leftist eventually. Um, and, you know, so this thing that I'm trying to describe, like also didn't happen to me. I mean, maybe when I was like 19, I, I felt this way, but, but I, I think what I'm trying to pick out is that like, you're, what you're talking about in terms of the margins, I think that there's, there did emerge a sort of I don't know if I want to call it disingenuous, but I think Mars Hill is a very good example of this, where Driscoll, you know, to call himself like the bad boy of Calvinism was to try to paint himself as being sort of on the margins of something when, I mean, in reality, he was pretty mainstream, obviously, like supported by John Piper and, you know, like Acts 29, all that stuff. Um, But his sort of public facing persona was I'm the bad boy. I'm going to go on love line and, you know, take calls about weird sex stuff and, you know, show the world that like, you know, I'm going to cuss. I'm the cussing pastor. Like, you know, so there's a way of embracing, I mean, maybe we want to call it like the aesthetic of the margins or, or, or something like that, that actually has nothing to do with people who are really on the margins. And I think that what that eventually morphs into is this uh, this sort of almost compulsion to like avoid, uh, you know, siding with like a group of people on some issue. So, you know, a lot of people are interested in socialism now, like more people are interested in socialism because of Bernie Sanders and whatever. And so, you know, maybe I'm going to look at that and be like, oh, I'm not going to follow the crowd. Like I'm going to stay on the margins of you know what I mean? When it's like not really the margin, but it's just this sort of like reconceptualization of where the margins are. I mean, and I I think that that's true of a lot of Christianity in general, right? The idea of persecution complexes and like, you know, um, recasting yourself as the persecuted minority when you are anything right. but that, right? Yeah, exactly. It, it's part yeah. of that whole same mindset in a way. And that's that's something that I'm, you know, just kind of thinking out loud right now about I I haven't yet done like the necessary academic work to really make that argument fly but you know that that's what I was kind of thinking about as you were as you were talking about that yeah something that we that Andrew and I point to a lot on the show is like there certainly there are different paths that the scene uh pointed folks down in terms of their social political spiritual development but the thing that made us want to do a podcast about mxpx and five iron frenzy were that they felt um that they were 
the kind of bands that were giving us permission to question yes the church yeah. and society yeah and so and that felt like a pretty small venn diagram i mean I, there are a fair amount of bands that we've covered that that have come up um to that line sometimes but i think that was what felt freeing to me as a kid who was like trying to find an identity was mm-hmm. the idea that um there are spaces where it's okay to question um capitalism as well as <laughs> legalism within the church you know and right. yeah there are different avenues that different bands have 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 used more effectively than others maybe but i think those five iron specifically in terms of sort of like political development were was really big for us in terms of sort of totally shaping a a sort of moral identity (laughs) still still blows me away that they had a song in 1998 about settler colonialism and like you know native american massacres i mean i don't think i realized that when i was 16 but like looking back i'm like oh my god that's crazy yeah yeah (laughs) That, that first stuff, first yeah. song on their debut album talking about native american genocide you know yes exactly that's, yeah, that's that hard too, yeah. that's that's hard as fuck you're going <laughs> you're going yeah. hard you're not screwing yep. around yeah and that was i think that's you know we talk a lot about the, the the aspects of some of these lyrics that we're going over like you guys are saying that are problematic and maybe that we might have bumped on a little bit growing up but maybe didn't presented as like a major issue and now we look back at it and we're like oh this is grounds for uh trauma <laughs> development here um but there's yeah. a lot yeah, that we look back on like, the, uh, like five iron was like immediately a band that i was like yes this because of like those darker tones mm-hmm. but then it was also like it was like it was like a uh, jurassic park came in out came out when i was 14 um right? 94 or 90, 93? 93. 93, yeah. So I was 13 years old, which was like, and I'll connect the dots here. In a second. <laughs> I can't wait. So, I'm, I'm, I'm like, ready for, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with this journey. <laughs> Jurassic Park was like, I was 13 years old. Um, it was rated PG-13. Um, so I was like, it came out right at the time that I was able to be like, I'm able to go see this movie on my own right like finally i'm seeing an adult movie but it's about dinosaurs so like it's it's a movie for kids because like 9 10 12 year old boys are super into dinosaurs as like a traditional i'm sure lots of other i'm speaking from my context lots of people <laughs> are into dinosaurs but like you know it was like a movie about dinosaurs which is like for kids but i was 13 and it's an adult movie and there's like some cursing in it so it's just like this is like just enough adult where I feel like really, really mature. And it's just enough kid where it still feels really, really safe. And it's not scary, but there's enough scary where I was just like stepping into that adulthood and Jurassic Park, like pushed me into that. Right. Like I was like, yes. And then I went and saw like four times the opening weekend with my friends. And then I went and saw it with my dad and just was like this huge thing. Five Iron Frenzy is similar because mm-hmm. there's like we're gonna treat you with maturity and we're gonna treat like we're gonna talk about some heavy stuff and then we're gonna sing a song about our comb you right. know? <laughs> like, yeah but we can talk about genocide but then we're also gonna be goofy where like you can still be a goofy kid and just want to skank at their show and like but also feel a little bit more mature and then there was like a really short hop skip and a jump where i was just like became way more into the dingies 
and the mm -hmm. dingies were like even further yeah. like unabashed leftists yeah um like at the time who are like all of a sudden this is where like my like bible answer man apologetics brain started kicking in where i'm like reading the notes trying to interrogate it and reading about like their references to the Bilderbergs or trying to understand why they're talking this way about Ronald Reagan. And then like looking <laughs> all of that stuff up and like, it was like this Pandora's box, right? Like, yeah. and it was like right at that age where we were still kids and we just wanted to go to shows, but we also wanted to be really mature. And these bands were like similar to Jurassic Park. We're like, here's some hints at this stuff. Yeah. Start digging into it and start looking. But you can also be goofy and just bounce around with your friends and sing about your, your, your comb, you know? <laughs> and I think that was like super crucial for that age where somebody now you would go give them some of those lyrics or those albums and they'd be like, I'm not picking up why this is so crucial for you. Mm -hmm. Why it's not such a crucial conspiracy. Right. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, album reference yeah, yeah, I was like, I, I know it's in there somewhere. <laughs> no, I want to, I just want to give, I just want to shout out, the dingies i don't think the dingies get enough love no. uh in the scene in general especially in the ska scene in general of they just they, they fucking rule like armageddon <laughs> massive sundown to midnight these Great albums they're so good they and they still hold up like yeah. mm -hmm. like i have a i have a, i only have a handful of actual cds in my car and two of them are dingy cds because it's just fucking rule so uh that, that was the music that my wife and i could uh agree on like that was our like getting ready to go downtown to protest in portland in summer 2020 <laughs> we were like the dingies yeah we hell yeah that. that's awesome i love that <laughs> yeah, i mean like, even just like we're talking about that like i remember being like talking a ton about why Dave Chevalier would leave the Supertones to go to this punk band, right? Like he mm. was in the Supertones, they were huge. And then all of a sudden like he leaves at their height and then goes to join this band called the Dingies that like at the time weren't as big. Yeah. And we were like, what the heck? I'd, I think that would be a ripe thing to dig into more of just like, you know, the ministry talking about that stuff like i've tried to find him and like pick his brain and be like what the heck was that all about but like because the supertones were they again that band who like what you see is what you get their lyrics are very simple yeah loud they're and clear their worship songs but <laughs> you it. can't dig into it Nailed what it. was it he said, said they're, they're loud and clear <laughs> they uh but there's nothing to like <laughs> dig into right like you can't scratch right. below the surface yeah um so like you listen to it the first time you're like that's fun but it doesn't have that like staying power no whereas that you uh, upbeats and beatdowns by five iron compared yeah. to the adventures of the oc supertones those debut albums yeah oh my god it's and adventures then, like, of the oc supertones i loved that record when it came out but when you sure. when i listen to it now compared to five iron it's like like it just it just doesn't it just doesn't hold up. It, it's 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 yeah. it's pretty cringy. And this kind of goes to like, you know, you talk about what is the point of of your band? Are you a quote? This is and this is always the conversation like because, uh, you know, Joel, I, th I think it was you that were you were talking about like the the whole 
like uh the are you the performative nature of things or how authentic mm. is it? Is are you being are you in a being in a are you just in a punk band or are you, you know, you know, the are you mojo in, in the supertones and you're like this is your this is your ministry and you're trying to convert yeah. and you're like and some sometimes it's just like I just kind of want to play some punk songs. I just want to play right. some ska songs and like I don't need to get up on stage for you know between sets to like preach you know right. and i think that's that's where you kind of get the people making fun of of the scene because totally. it's there were those people who were being their authentic selves they're like i i'm using this my my time in in the height of my like of being this popular band i'm going to use this to talk about the lord and then there are people that are just like I just can I just want you to play some ska songs. I just want you to play right. some. Yeah. I just want to. Yeah, I just right. want to skank or get right. in the mosh pit, and you're talking to me about Jesus. I don't want this. Right. I, I yeah. wonder, like, thinking about those two paths, like the bands that were like, we're just Christians playing music, and like we're we're a Christian band and we're trying to evangelize. We're a ministry. Yes. Yeah, it seems like both of those end up in the same place to me in terms of like like political leanings at the end of the day not always but like uh both different different shades of a being apolitical like Mm. in terms of like you know matt merginsky becoming a pastor he's probably the pastor that's going to be like we're not going to talk about george floyd this sunday we're going to talk about jesus right um but then you also have like then this authenticity piece as well of like well i'm i'm not gonna like be political because um you know i'm my authentic self that it seems like both of those paths lead to a disengagement (sighs) am i am i like an oppressive disengagement it's you know because this is this kind of goes to the um the deconstruction exvangelical movement that we have seen within the, within this, this, the alternative Christian scene Um, and not just alternative, but like some big names, uh, former names within the CCM arena, like Derek Webb and Kevin Max, who was in DC talk right. and Dave Bazan of Pedro the lion and members of under oath who um, have said that being, they've never felt more alone than, than when the, <laughs> the times when they were uh, a Christian and just feeling so isolated. And yeah, you know, like, cause this to me feels like authenticity. Like when you, when I think of authenticity, I think of people, sharing about their trauma sharing about um Mm -hmm. uh not just like talking about like oh the church is bad but like getting kind of personal and talking about ways that they've um they've individually fucked up or made mistakes but also just that um using their their platform to kind of talk about their um their experiences in the church and you know, I'm I, I'm curious. I'm not sure who who has has thoughts on 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 this particular shift in the scene, or um, if you think this is 
just kind of a, a blip, if this will go away, or if this is, if you will, if there will be more, more artists to, uh, to come that are going to be part of this, like, uh, ex evangelical or deconstructed Christian artist scene, because there's even more. I, that, that's just a, that's just like a, an example. I think there was somebody, was it Hawk, Hawk Nelson? Yeah. Hawk yeah, Nelson. Yeah. And then Trey Pearson was yes. everyday Sunday. Yeah. And yes. that was, yeah. A while ago, but like, yeah, 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 yeah. even more mainstream sure. than, yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, I think that. Going. The lead singer Skillet's gonna save them all and bring them back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that that guy that that guy is in. I guarantee you, he's got some skeletons. He's into some kinky shit. Like guaranteed, his lyrics yeah. his lyrics are like, you know, about domination. Yeah, like S and M kind yeah. of shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, guy. All right, you're, you're. We're not kink shaming anybody, but like, don't don't like come out here and start talking about like black women and their perf- and their sexuality when you you've got some you've got some shit of your own that you're like, yeah. Just just saying. I think that I think CCM is just sort of like built exactly for this kind of thing to happen because, um, you know, you have all of these restrictions on artists and what they can and can't do right um you know at shows like if they smoke or whatever like you can't do all of this stuff around the kids right um because someone will complain or what you know whatever um there's there's a money making machine that has to be maintained um and i think that that's just i mean people just aren't like that right people can't you know uh are, aren't really built to do that long term um you know and so i think that there there's going to be more people and also um <laughs> so there are so many people in ccm who have are not christians and never have been christians um, right who are good musicians and this is their job and they make a lot of money playing in these bands i'm not saying like you know the the major artists like necessarily but um but certainly a lot of people in the ccm industry are not christians at all (laughs) so um but yeah i think that the way that ccm is structured in terms of all the restrictions that it places on its artists in terms of behavior and what they can say or not say um it just it's like uh, you know, a tinderbox waiting to be lit. I think. Mm. Like. I think thinking about Christian publishing, which is something that I uh, am connected to personally and and through my wife. You know, there is this democrat de- democratization that is happening with Twitter, mm. right? That that there is more, there's less gatekeeping, um, and at the same time. Uh, people are finding themselves in this place of, uh, you know, searching for the middle. Right. So like, um, you know, so on some level, like there are people that are, that are like in Christian publishing that are talking about being affirming. Um, Mm -hmm. and as an example, um, and then there's also a lot of people that are like, well, I don't hate gay people. And so I've come really far and, (laughs) 
you know, my my church that I grew up in hated gay people, but I don't affirm same sex marriage. So I'm right where Jesus is. Um, and <laughs> I don't know how much that parallels with CCM, but it just yeah. feels like on some level there is a shit like they're not able to the, the industry isn't able to keep such a tight um, a, a, a tight uh, like leash on on these boundaries as much as before I would say mm-hmm. um, and at the same time like the the needle is moving really slowly so <laughs> yeah I mean I I'm interested in hearing uh, your thoughts on this in particular Jake because of your tooth and nail background but one thing we talk a lot about on the show too is like that there was this such distinct uh scene when we were growing up there was a whole world of it and today much less i mean it's easy to talk about as we're saying there's a there's a ccm that exists but as far as like a whole alternative alternate christian music world and subculture and festivals and labels and you know the charts of comparisons that's that's gone and so yeah it's growing up today yeah i think that's super crucial and, and a really amazing double-edged sword right um number one we don't have these like powerhouse publishing companies that everything has to go through where there there's literally was a gatekeeper um to be like you know to brandon evil scraped out a little niche was able to be like but it's christian enough and uh, you know a lot of these early bands you know, he'd have the supertones to be like, look at all the ministry we're doing. And then he'd be like, and then putting out behind the scenes, like this um, page of the lion record, right. Um, that like, wasn't making enough, but that was great. The great music, but it was like the distributors, like Diamante, there was like Diamante, like distribution and like mm-hmm. one or two others. And like, they could shut stuff down or make and break you. And then like the Christian, you know, in order for me to get the music, I had to go to the Christian bookstore in order to get it. If right. the person who owned that Christian bookstore or the church was like, we're not going to order it and we're not going to be okay with you ordering Like you couldn't get it. Like our entire town would be like, not be able to get that stuff because one dude listened to an episode about Dr. Dobson talking about something. And all of a sudden, like it would be gone off the shelves. Right. Like there really was a pipeline and it was really easy to control. Now with the internet, and like all of those publishing companies have lost their power. Distribution is now in the hands of artists way more. Yeah. For one, they're not able, yeah. artists aren't able to like make a bunch of money on it, but it is more democratized like Chrisman was talking about, which is then like why you have these amazing stories of somebody like Grace Baldridge or similar, like yeah. arting on the Christian records with like a completely like centering like the experience of a queer woman yeah. um, writing about, all this like stuff and attacking it and being able to be like, I'm going to game the system and I'm going to put whatever Christian and inspirational on it. And all of a sudden I'm on those charts, right? Like, yeah, because we can do that. And so we can start to like fuck with the system, start to play with it. People can start to listen to it. So many people now are like on Spotify being like, Oh, what are the other recommended artists? And we can easily game that. And people are able to like, they don't have to send off for a mail order catalog, get that two weeks later, scrape together 10 bucks to buy one album, send for it, wait two weeks, and then they've got it. And then it like, you know, like we can really push the limits and people can really do that. And that's the same thing with like the internet and so many other tools and publishing and people can just be like, 
like Joel, like you're talking about being like, yeah, I'm working with this other kind of non-traditional publisher to start getting this stuff out where like 20 years ago, like that would have been completely unheard of um, and, and largely impossible um, to do without some sort of like major backing of the ministry. So I think it's amazing and it's great. And, and it, you know, at the same time, there's the double-edged sword of like, you can find your niche on the internet, which I think is great, but it also means that people like Sean Foyt can find his niche on the internet and enable like white nationalist violence and make a ton of money. And he's able to kind of do it under the radar because how much, how many albums is he selling? We don't know. Cause it's all through Apple and they don't publish their charts. So we don't know how much money he's making. We can't track a lot of that stuff. Dark money is like in the Christian music industry is real and it's being hijacked by the far right to like mobilize a lot of this stuff. And so, you know, while it's a, a right place for people to bring a new message and for the, for the people who haven't had a voice for a long time to finally be able to have a voice, we're also starting to wrestle with the fact that some people we don't want to have a voice because they're assholes and they're Nazis. And like, <laughs> they've been able to find their little circle and grow a platform. And so, you know, we have that double-edged sword and now the community's trying to go, how do we police that? Should we? Yeah, I, um, I think another you know, piece of this so that, that maybe is like part of this conversation, maybe not, but we have to acknowledge that in the early 2000s, all CCM just became worship music. Yes. And yeah. So I don't know like how that exactly impacted tooth and nail, but um, you know, an alternative music, but I think it, it did. I don't even know what kids do now. If they're like, I want a band that sounds like Imagine Dragons. Like <laughs> they just have to find the worship band that sounds the most like Imagine Dragons. I, whereas like it, like in the nineties, like the copycat God rock thing, was bad but it also was like at least it wasn't just like everybody not everybody just like singing worship songs that really like they're even even like say dc talk right I'm not alternative at all well whatever <laughs> right like there there's at least some like poeticism and lyricism that they're trying to do uh versus like putting right. you know bible verses in a song yeah. Right. And there was, and there was also some differentiation among John. I mean, every single right. worship song is like some like post-rock, like heavy reverb, like, you know, quiet, loud, quiet, loud. Yeah. yeah lots mm -hmm. of builds. It's the same thing over and over again. It's Repetition. Quiet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's, sorry, go ahead, Andrew. No, no, I was just going to say, and the most important thing is that, you know, DC talks, DC talk loves rap music. They always have, and they always will. As well. <laughs> and there's no other kind of music in the world that makes me feel. feel quite as Ill. I mean, like I, I don't feel quite as ill with Just other personally. with personally me personally. I don't feel quite as ill with other kinds of music, but rap music, you know, I'm glad you made that point. <laughs> um, point. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's kind of our whole like uh, podcast philosophy is like this scene. There was plenty to pick apart and to look back on in ways that uh, shaped lots of people in negative ways, but there was also a real specialness to it. And Absolutely. the music was good and it still mm -hmm. is good. A lot of what we're looking back on and, and the specialness of having that kind of world, you know, with its pluses and minuses is, is gone now. And, and 
I'm sure that still exists, but it was it was a special moment for a lot of us in really formative ways. And you know, we were talking about hey. artists like. Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, I was interrupting. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say we're talking about like Semler and folks like that today who are sort of looking back on that time as well and, and making art uh, of it today that you know is is charting on in Christian charts, uh, but is also obviously a, appealing to folks outside of that world. So, you know, Crispin, I'm I'm interested in in your sort of uh, lens on that development as people are looking back on that time uh, as being a formative one, you know, how do you, how have you experienced the scene sort of shaping people psychologically, spiritually as, as they're sort of moving away from that time and thinking about how that evangelical subculture kind of shaped them? Yeah, I think in, uh, you know, I, I can just, I mostly am just speaking to my experience in friends that are, you know, my same age, but I'm pretty sure that like, christian hardcore post hardcore like solid state i'm pretty sure they did so well because of the intervention the invention of internet pornography um, <laughs> go on <laughs> you know you have the late 90s you have a bunch of christian kids that can yeah, yeah. look at naked pictures on the internet feel terrible about themselves um and then you have right and they're they're like lot obviously like lots of themes um throughout christian hardcore and a lot of like battle sort of stuff and i didn't really investigate that so much but every man's battle if you will right exactly (laughs) yeah but yeah i mean you know like it it just to me it felt you know there are definitely some bands that felt outside that but especially as you hit that like screamo post-hardcore like era it's just like everything seemed to be about like how I keep on looking at porn and I can't stop and I feel so bad about myself. So. I mean, for real, you know, it's funny, like uh, somebody today. So we have a, a, a Patreon only discord and someone today brought up triple X church. Do you, oh do, do, do you guys yeah. remember that? I forgot yeah. about that. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I had blocked that out like i had suppressed that um i was uh i had literally not thought about that for 15 years maybe i don't know um but they're gross i is is that is that something that you're how familiar are you with that 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 quote-unquote ministry deeply (laughs) take it away jake yeah. hard into it how, how hard are you into it <laughs> no i mean it was yeah that was like i actually worked for um after i was working for tooth and nail i was one of the first staff members for to write love on her arms okay if you're familiar with that organization yeah, yeah. um and for like the first year or two to write love had its nonprofit status was under um fireproof ministries which was the like parent company ran by Mm. um the dudes from triple x church so we were like a supported ministry alongside them and a lot of their ministries so we were like connecting with craig and um all of the work that they were doing and um you know deeply at the time you know had the software the accountability software on my computer with my buds you know like Mm -hmm. and was stoked on what they were doing. Um, 
but now I'm just like adding that to the list of things that I'm <laughs> shedding. Um, the amount of, you know, all of the shame and stuff that I've brought and, um, you know, that's, that's a whole world. Crispin's completely right. Like so much of that angst. And I think that's like, we were talking about Mars Hill and that group of, of bands like 90 pound was Jeff Betger, who went Mm. on to do like suffering and the hideous thieves who like Mm -hmm. Jeff has become like a friend, amazing dude, like suffering and the hideous thieves. Those records are phenomenal. Um, like Matt Johnson from roadside monument, like all the roadside monument dudes, jet Matt Johnson became a worship pastor at Mars Hill. Um, even what's his face, my brain turned off. Dustin Kensrue. Dustin Kensrue, like, you know, his sense like just is just deconstructing right. a lot of that stuff. But yeah, yeah. Um, I think Mark Driscoll was able to like really tap into like you listen to like early 90 pound wuss, you listen to Roadside Monument, like their first record, the first song is called Sperm Ridden Burden. Like <laughs> right, there's, yeah. some, there's some deep <laughs> angst yeah. about like this stuff that's going on. Um and you know all of this stuff is just like i'm i'm angry i'm freaking out like mm-hmm. where do i point this stuff out hey, like where do i take this out on and then mark comes along and is like oh no no like you can blame those people like yeah. and is able to like harness that uh energy into being like no it's the world's fault or it's women's fault the reason you're mad at women isn't because of the deep misogyny that is inherent in our in our religion but it's like, because women dress like that, so we can shame them and we can like harness your shame and point it in a direction and use it for a ministry, right? That's really interesting because I've thought about how punk is basically like, fuck the world, right? Like that's where all the anger goes mm-hmm. is outward, right? Mm-hmm. But in a Christian context, um, it can go outward as we've seen. Uh, but it can also go inward, especially if you're like a 13 year old boy. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Well, I think that's so, the nature of it. Right. It's yeah, like, yeah. The church and the, the faith will teach you like, it's the similar thing of like, fuck the world. It's the world's fault. There's like literally a Christian brand of clothing called not of this world. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we were taught that all along. Like I'm not of this world. This is why we have this like apolitical theology, right? Like, Oh, I, I don't need to be involved in politics because I'm in, I'm a part of, you know, I'm not of this world, so I don't get involved in that. Right. But then like, that's where that dis- that fundamental disconnect and that angst comes from as like, because like, no, you are of this world, right? Like we are a part of the community, like our impact, our actions impact other people. And so that like turning inward anger upon ourselves is also a part of the anger at others because like we are told to like, not find ourselves in community mm-hmm. um and, and so i mean also what's what's right? interesting about what i find uh in these christian hardcore songs is like it's not my impact on others it's my impact on god right like there's like this next yeah. soul song about uh temptation and it says like do i dare repent again like how much more of this can you take like as though like yeah, I'm really, and but I mean, a, a Supertones reference, right? Like every time I sin, I know I reel another nail straight into the cross of Jesus. Remember that one? Yeah, yeah. You know, like that's like, it's like, I can't even, it's, it's not like, oh, like, and it's not even like this, like, oh, I'm hurting someone else and therefore I'm hurting God 
because God cares about this other person. Right. It's just me and God. And so if I sin, like God's feelings are hurt. Um, I mean, we, we talked about you masturbate. We, God kills a kitten. Yeah. <laughs> See, that I've, would make I've, more I've, sense I've, to me. I've like, killed, <laughs> I've killed so many kittens. <laughs> are you um, going to talk about dogwood right now? I'm going to talk about dogwood yeah, right now. Please do. You know, we, so my personally, my, uh, my, most difficult stretch this season was when we covered dogwood because i felt i'm not sure how how familiar you all are with with dogwood but i feel i felt i felt especially like triggered a lot by a lot of the songs primarily because of how hard josh was on himself it, it was just another one of those album after album of just like, and yeah, he didn't write every single song, but like a lot of the songs were just so down on yourself. And like, and I coming out of my faith, like I've struggled with a lot of self-hatred and so many of the of so many bands like looking back on a lot of these songs and a lot of these records and a lot of these bands just like oh my god you guys why do you <laughs> you you just like are just so down on yourselves all the time but there's a, a a dogwood song um and i'm forgetting the name of the song but it opens with i killed the son of god today I, I drove. Was it? I drove the nails into. I built the cross where he was slain. I, I right. built the cross yeah. where he was slain, and it's just yeah. like, okay, calm down, just <laughs> calm down. It's it's so dramatic. It's so right. over the top, and it's that like, and it's that it's that same sort of idea. Like like, I'm I'm jerking off. I feel so bad, and like a lot of these songs that are like I'm of these young kids that are talking about how terrible they are. They don't really say why they're so terrible, but in my mind, it's right, always like you're jerking off and you <laughs> feel bad about it. Uh-huh. And right. it's like, that's why you're so terrible. It's like, you're not guys. Come on. It sucks. I, I was there too. And it sucks. And I hate, I hate it. So I hated it so much that, that this is, this is what a lot of these young dudes were wrestling with because it's the most natural, natural thing in the world. But like, if you're thinking like I'm jerking off and I, and because of that, I killed the son of God, (laughs) you know, it's just, it's tough one. It's, it's tough and it's such a bummer. And yeah, it, it's, it's way true. It's way too dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, go ahead. I was going to say that, uh, you know, there, there is, there are lots of reasons why that is, but from an attachment perspective, we want to be close to God, right? Uh, if for nothing else to get to heaven. Um, sure. <laughs> and so there's that piece, but it's like, yeah, no, actually I want to be close to God. I'm a Christian, right? I, and it feels like my sin keeps me away from God, which doesn't really fit with a biblical narrative because people keep like sinning and killing people and then God shows up. But anyway, but that's what you're taught, right? Is like, there's this thing about me that's that, that I'm doing that's keeping me away from God. 
and I can't stop doing it, but at least I can like show God how sorry I am. And I can do that in a really dramatic way. Um, and long before tooth and nail, uh, Paul Tillich, there's, uh, in my book, I, I quote him talking about how, like, when it feels like we can't contribute anything positive to getting close to God, then at least we can contribute something negative. So he says, you know, the pain of self, uh, self accusation and self rejection. Mm. Right. So we're trying to tell God, like, please come near to me. Look at how sorry I am. Look at how terrible I am. So it actually is this way of trying to get this connection with God, especially mm. as a teenager, right? When thing, well, I don't, I wouldn't even say, especially, um, you do it dramatically as a teenager, but, <laughs> but I'm sure that like lot, I think eventually you just give up, right? You're like, I'm just going to keep doing this. I am going to be far from God. I can't really hope for that anymore. But when you're like 14, 15, 16, like maybe I can, you know, say like, express myself dramatically enough uh to show god that i'm sorry so god will come close to me i also think i also think that there's uh you know to to bring this back to the authenticity piece a little bit um i also think that there's a sense or or maybe wonder i guess if there's a sense in which like you know this is not something that like i mean it was sort of edgy right in the 90s like even in youth group and stuff like when the guys and the girls went in their separate rooms and like, yeah, you know, whatever, it was like edgy to be, to be talking about this kind of thing. And there, so I think that that is sort of part of it too. Like this expression of like, this is me being an authentic Christian. I'm just being real with God and I'm putting it out there for everyone to know my shame that I jerked off and it made God sad. Right. Um, And it is, you're right that it is like, super heavy but i think that in a sense it's like well that's you know the drama is part of the point of it right it's part of like laying yourself bare right to say like this is what it means to be like an authentic christian to like no longer hide this stuff right you know because we come from this puritan background or whatever we don't talk about sexuality or you know any of any of this um yeah yeah well joel you were talking about uh the authenticity which made me think of uh you know i'm working on an episode right now on me without you and Mm -hmm. obviously like the most authentic band on tooth and nail (laughs) exactly right shifting not even a question right yeah shifting from like under oath being like i keep on failing every day to like i was looking down her dress right like Yep. I'm going to be super concrete about uh-huh. these, these mm-hmm. things. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're a band that we hope to get to in some capacity someday, but you know, they, they contain multitudes. <laughs> I know. Oh, right. Man. I didn't want to even like, people are like, are you going to talk about them? And I love me without you. And, and they also don't, you know, like if you know anything about me without you, you realize like, okay, we were interpreting what they were saying from this ev- evangelical lens, but like, that's not where Aaron was operating from. No, nope. right? so yeah, he's referencing Rumi and right. all these other things that have nothing to do with the evangelicalism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it- but we knew where we tried to tried to <laughs> interpret yeah. it. Right. I mean, do y'all remember how like? shocked some people were with the end of it's all crazy 
being mm -hmm. a song called Allah, Allah, Allah. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. With, yeah. And like people kind of losing their minds about that. It's like, mm -hmm. I mean, it just means God in Arabic. It doesn't, yeah. you know. <laughs> right, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was kind of nuts. <laughs> yeah. That kind of, I mean, that makes me think of, we've talked about, you know, circles where a left-leaning punk ethos had an impact in the Christian world, other yeah. circles where it was repurposed for conservative impact. I mean, are there are there specific bands or sort of movements uh, within the church? I think, I mean, that either of you, but, you know, especially you, Joel, with your academic work on it, like, can that you can point to as far as like, these bands or this kind of thinking had an influence here and you can kind of tell the obvious paths that uh, were shaped from them? Um, I think a little bit. I mean, what's so, I mean, <laughs> something that is just endemic to Christianity is, unfortunately, I think, you know, the nature of kind of like this colonial impulse, right, to just colonize and make something about you and for you, even if it's not. Um, and that happens, I think, you know, on large and small scales. So, you know, bands that like very clearly have a left-leaning ethos, people, you know, fans who are conservative just found a way to like ignore that or say, yeah, no, they right. don't, um, <laughs> when they obviously do. Um, you know, so I, in, in terms of like conservative, um, you know, I, I hope, none of you are project 86 fans um <laughs> we've discussed I, this on the show yeah, a little bit <laughs> my yeah what I, the fuck is going yeah, on i know i i can't like what I is what has I happened <laughs> i don't understand yeah. what has happened it's crazy i know i i was never really a project 86 fan myself i just kind of felt like they like I didn't like new metal type sounding mm -hmm. stuff and they were too new metal for me. And, I mean, but even um, like, but, I mean, even like but, drawing black lines was like, I mean, it was sort of, it was, but it wasn't like, yeah. it wasn't new metal in, in the, in the way that like, you know, Andrew Schwab wasn't like throwing in like it raps during like yeah. the bridge or something like that. There weren't yeah. like, there weren't like turntables like happening right. or anything like that, but. It does, uh, but it does seem to me that the, the fans who, I mean, just, you know, my sample size is pretty small. It's just so far, like my interviews in these Facebook groups, but it seems like the people who sort of lean more conservative are the ones who like stuff like, Project 86, Thousand Foot Crutch, Cutlass, mm -hmm. POD, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, and maybe some early solid state stuff like Living Sacrifice or Extol or something like that. But um, I mean, I think that, I mean, in terms of people that I've interviewed, like Mark Solomon was my favorite interview by far. That dude is super intense, really, really heady. Um, and thoughtful too. Um, and I mean, he's obviously, I mean, if you follow him on Twitter, he's a, you know, super leftist, um, but still very much like speaks in, in evangelical language. Like he huh. talked about finding community and like, you know, I just, you know, was still sort of in that world to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, I think that Certainly, I mean, I mentioned before, like a lot of these early bands like Crash Dog, for instance, which was, you know, a lot of people like unless you grew up in that era, 
you know, I didn't even really know about them until I started researching this book, but they were very left-leaning politically. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, they they have a lot of sort of leftist uh, themes in their songs, and even some of like the um, I think it's the early Squad Five O stuff. There's uh-huh. some like <laughs> yeah, there's some stuff in yeah. in there as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, no. Um, in ter- yeah, in terms of left, I mean, I, I think the point that was made earlier about like MXPX uh, and Five Iron, right? Mm-hmm. That that there was. Um, a sense in which they were both authorizing, you know, critique of Christi- of sort of uh, institutional forms of Christianity, as well as certain aspects of society. I mean, I think teenage politics, even though, you know, they were teenagers when they wrote that album, I, I think that there's, there's an in- this interesting, like, nexus point of like, oh, no, this is really like, you can really see how being a Christian punk like really works here, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're able to, you're, you're critiquing all forms of institutional authority, whether it's society or church. Yeah. Um, and that that really actually works, I think really well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that was the reason that was like me and Andrew's number one all timer. Uh, yeah. I mean, like literally uh, they have a song that says, legalistic people suck legalism makes me sick (laughs) yep right you know that like that that sort of uh language and you know american americanism nationalism bow to the flagism you know these like terms that you didn't hear in in other christian and other christian albums and also like squad 50 talking about uh the confederate flag nowadays would probably be like people would be like what what the fuck are you yeah you know yeah. but you can't be a christian and say that <laughs> right yeah. you can't be a christian and and say it's racism is bad yeah. yeah i mean <laughs> wait a second no that's not what i'm saying wait a second shit so okay. i I forgot some. I forgot something coming into this conversation, and then I remembered it about half an hour ago, and uh, <laughs> then I decided I didn't want to share this, which was that like Supertones were like my favorite band until like probably like up through like sixteen, seventeen. Like even when I was listening to a lot of other stuff. Um, and you're about to say until last year. <laughs> until <laughs> last year, right? Yeah. <laughs> No, but it's it's it, you know I loved the passion I loved the the uh, the dogma of it you know like uh, like loud and clear, <laughs> which was right. not my favorite album but like you know in fact that probably was one of the last albums that I listened to from them but it was you know there are these songs about like you don't read your Bible enough and uh, you know we you know we put down the Bible and pick up the PlayStation and. <laughs> Um, but it, it, it is that like that rigid dogma that like has informed my leftist like politics, mm, interesting. you know, so I don't know how much that, I mean, part of that, I don't know if you're familiar with my wife, DL Mayfield, who, of course. yes. So, 
you know, but that was kind of where it led us was like, okay, like we're going to be like hardcore for Jesus, which then led us into marginalized communities, mm. which then led us sure. into like an organization that was like, that told us like, just, just serving in a marginalized community isn't enough. You actually have to like learn from and mm. like submit to in yeah. in a sense, right? Like learning from marginalized people which you know which then then that's what led to the deconstruction in terms of like hell right like like my wife was like how like i would rather <laughs> we were talking about this recently on our podcast she's like i would rather uh i would if i get to like the pearly gates and like the refugees i know from afghanistan are not allowed into heaven like i'm just gonna go to hell with them like fuck you god like if that's yeah. the kind of god you yeah. are like but like that actually all comes from these like religious convictions that like started mm -hmm. with the supertones. Yeah. Interesting. I, I, you know, I don't think a lot of people have a path like that. Hmm. I also, I mean, the other, the other like parallel path here was going to a me without you show and like randomly picking up a, um, a documentary about, uh, Shane Claiborne because yeah. Aaron Weiss had spent time there and then like finding it three years later and then my wife and I watching it and being like oh my gosh we're gonna move from like the suburbs into like this low-income apartment building mm -hmm. so you know it's kind of interesting to, to reflect on the ways that that uh, these bands have shaped where we are now um, I think you probably have to have both you know you mm -hmm. have to have it, I'm not saying Shane Claiborne is super radical, but he was then like I yeah. needed, you know, if it would have just been super tones, I never would have made it to where I am now. Mm. You needed that irresistible revolution. I did. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man. I feel like that's, that's a great note to end on just thinking about yeah. the, the, the impact that the scene had in all kinds of ways for all kinds of people. But, you know, we've all arrived at a fairly similar place in terms of our ethos but it's very different than it was back then but it still shaped us and i just find this conversation continuously fascinating and, and hearing from folks about the ways in which that led them to where they are now in all kinds of ways so you've all been very generous with your time very excited to uh continue to read your work and and check out what you're doing um crispin do you want to let folks know where they can find you and what you're working on yeah so just you know find me on twitter um and uh yeah i do have a book coming out uh called attached to god but um you know if you're listening to this you probably will enjoy my current season uh called shame core records um yeah. where, I'm, <laughs> where i'm looking at uh you know a lot of uh the music that i loved growing up and then kind of using that as a launching point to talk about both the uh, emotional experience of growing up in evangelicalism and also its political implications on on some level as well. So, um, Jake, do you want to tell folks uh, where they can find you and anything you're working on that you might want to promote or plug? Yeah, I mean, I'm mostly here in Portland and doing a lot of activism, um, trying to be involved in our police abolition movement and holding a lot of our elected officials accountable. So you can find me on mostly on Twitter um, at Jake doctor. And it's mostly me tweeting about 
our horrible mayor and trying to get him recalled. <laughs> and um, I, I also am involved in some various like mutual aid organizations. And um, I serve with a group called the Chemical Weapons Research Consortium. We're working to like ban the use of chemical weapons by law enforcement and study them, um, try to find out what the stuff is that they're dumping on us and then try to convince them to not dump it on us anymore. Um, and if people are super interested in that work, could always use some donations because we have to pay for a lot of the studies of that stuff ourselves. And we're also working with some organizations to fund uh, like gas masks and respirators for children who are being gassed by the police. So um, there's some really great orgs that are doing great work. If somebody is listening in the Portland area and wants to get involved, um, definitely reach out. I'd love to plug in um, and uh, just trying to help out how I can and being involved in the Black Lives Matter police abolition and police brutality movement, you know, ending police brutality movement and, you know, talking a lot of trash online. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks. I'll appreciate you know, this conversation. It's been really, really good for me um, to like get out of my brain for a minute and talk about things that I really love and in my brain enough, but also to be able to make references to the insiders. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Thank you for getting it going, man. We, we appreciate it. Um, Joel, for you, where can folks find you and, and what work do you want to plug? Sure. So uh, I'm on Twitter at Prof J Harrison. Um, I don't post a ton there because I'm very bad at Twitter, but I am there. Um, most of my social media time is spent on my uh, Instagram account for my vinyl record collection, Ooh, um, shit. Um, which is uh, underground vinyl uh, spelled U-N-D-R-G-R-N-D underscore vinyl. Um and uh, yeah, that's that's a lot of fun, actually, that there's this whole like vinyl collector community of people who collect like underground punk vinyl stuff. It's just it's really, really, really fun. It consumes way too much of my time, to be <laughs> honest. But um, uh, and uh, yeah, I I actually am also sort of in the process right now with a couple other uh, guys of starting uh, a podcast about me without you. Um, and uh, the, I, I really can't say much more than that at this point, okay. but it's going to be a album by album, song by song Ooh. sort of breakdown um, with, you know, um, me talking about theology and philosophy stuff. Another person who's a music expert talking about music. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to be really, really good i hope uh, awesome we have <laughs> so some uh, we have some me that. without you stands that listen to our our pod oh, nice. so for nice. sure yeah 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 if yeah. you uh, if you need some special guests you just you just hit us up um <laughs> <laughs> really look forward to that well thank you all for your time we appreciate it so much yeah thank you too really appreciate yeah, having this conversation and the yeah. conversations you guys regularly have it's great Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Legalistic people suck. Legalism makes me sick. I wanna what makes them tick. I wanna go and give a net. Ephesians verse 2 8 states. God, I say it's not my word. Tell you what I don't want to go puke on is that <laughs> great conversation we had. Uh, thank you to Crispin, Jake, and Joel. Uh, really enjoyed hearing from all of them. I hope folks go find them uh, doing all the interesting things that they're doing. Um, grateful to them for spending that time with us. 
this week. Let us know what you think of the conversation at Magnified Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Subscribe if you haven't already and give us a rating or review. We will read your review on the pod. Email us at magnifiedpod at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 872-762-4763-8727 MagPod. And you can support us at the Patreon, patreon.com slash magnifiedpod. And uh, we want to welcome new patron this week, Skeletor's Butthole. <laughs> uh, I don't know what your real name is, Skeletor's Butthole. <laughs> That's right. MagPod will never get me. <laughs> um yes i it brought me great joy to see the name skeletor's butthole written out among our new patrons so thank you very much skeletor uh for uh, and your butthole i guess and, yeah of course uh i hope you get he-man and everybody at castle gray skull uh you can pick up some merch at magnifiedpod.storeenvy.com thanks to shadow producer jason at unoriginal vinyl and thanks to heavy ordnance studios for our artwork Andrew, we got a little special announcement in this outro. Oh, shit, John. What's this announcement, bro? Our time in the penalty box is over for this week. We'll be back out on the ice next week when we'll start discussing Craig's brother. Oh. Their album Homecoming. And night bit six. Things were changing. The federal government was rearranging. Yeah. Started to put an end to segregation. Can't do that to our pocket federation. State of Georgia, Southern Pride. Raising new flags. We can divide. They can't tell us what to do. Justify what they can't deny. Fly our state, a ban of hate. Separate is not equal. Things are about to change. So good. For more shows like this one, visit rockcandyrecordings.com.